Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Excited to start this summer series with you. And uh, my name is Micah. I'm the campus pastor at our Midtown campus of Three Circle Church. So glad to uh, be a part of the movement, which is Three Circle Church, all across the Gulf Coast here of Alabama. And so, so thankful to have this morning with you. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. So uh, I have a beautiful wife, Brini, and we have two little boys, the youngest of which is less than a month. And so uh, our family uh, is growing and we're having a fun time with having a newborn in the house and he's awesome. Uh, he's born with a full head of hair, kid already needs a haircut. So, uh, but um, we, uh, we're so thankful to be part of the Movement History Circle Church. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, kind of how our campus fits into the movement, which is three circles. So we're one church serving in five communities. So our Midtown community is a community that uh, was originally a church planted, Sage Avenue Baptist Church planted in 1951. Uh, and so that church had been in existence for all those years. And unfortunately it plateaued and declined and there was a merger that happened where it launched its Midtown campus uh, in 2015. And uh, my wife and I came there in 2016 with the goal to renovate the community and renovate the mission of God in that community. And so that means raising up a church as diverse as heaven will one day be because we're in the middle of some of the most diverse three square miles in the state of Alabama. So that's educational, ethnic diversity, so many layers of diversity. And because of our partnership at Three Circle Church, we're able to do so many amazing things from our team that serves there, that does an amazing job from worship ministry to kids ministry and administration. We have an awesome team uh, that helps us carry the mission forward there in the Midtown community. And also we're able to do things together as a church that help us make an impact collectively. So we do several events throughout the year, some that has to do with the economic status of many in our community and our ability to help leverage the resources God has given us for proclamation to share the good news of Jesus, but for presence to also meet tangible needs for people in the community. And so uh, you partner with us every year for doing things like our back to school bash. We're able to bless and encourage families. They go back to school and also uh, partner them uh, with service services, nonprofits, and ministries that help forward uh, their growth in their family. And so that's an amazing partnership you help with every year. And also uh, like our Christmas stores, something you also often uh, partner with us each year as we bless families and allow families to shop for pennies on the dollar as they uh, shop for their kids for Christmas. And it gives them back the gift of being able to shop for their families. And, uh, and uh, about a year ago, we launched a new thing, which is for Midtown, which is a, uh, an independent 501c3 that comes alongside what we do there in Midtown that helps us bring about uh, and multiply multiply our impact to bring about spiritual, uh, economic, and material renewal there, again, to have that proclamation and presence intentionality in our community. And so, so thankful to be part of Three Circle Church and thankful to be part uh, of what God's doing here and to be with you here this morning as we launch into our summer series. Hey, before we hop into our content for today, just want to remind you that starting next week, we have a summer intensive. And so we started that last summer. We had a great uh, theology intensive. This year, we're going to be uh, diving into the book of Exodus. And so that's really important for you to remember today because uh, it actually starts next week. All the details for that are on the back of your handout. I encourage you to check that out if you're interested. And that's going to run starting next week all the way through uh, August 13th. And so that's a great opportunity if you take a deep dive. You know, there's only uh, always so much stuff we can carry or uh, uh, cover as we talk through the Word of God uh, in here. And so that's an opportunity if you take a deep dive and study the book of Exodus this summer. So if you're interested in that, I encourage you to go ahead and sign up and be part of that over the coming weeks. And so we're starting this new series today called The Fruit of the Spirit. And we need to know when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, then we, we often think about, if you grew up in church, maybe the book of Galatians and how God unpacks there through the pen of Paul, uh, all those fruits and what they look like. Uh, but the origin of that actually is in the teaching of Jesus. And so Jesus starts in John 15 to explain to us what uh, it looks like to be rooted in him, how he's divine and we're the branches. And so what Paul teaches is actually an explanation of what Jesus started to teach in John 15. So the context of John 15 is Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. 
And so this is one of the final teachings that he has with his disciples, explaining to them, I'm no longer going to be walking with you physically, but rather I'm going to go back to heaven and the Holy Spirit's going to come to be with you. uh, And here's what life is going to look like on the other side of that. And so he unpacks those dynamics for them. uh, And that's where we pick up today, him unpacking what it looks like that he is the vine and we are the branches. So uh, you can read along with me there in your handouts or on the app or on the screens, picking up in John 15, starting in verse one. It says, I am the true grapevine and my father father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you uh, cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father." So Jesus begins to unpack here uh, what the vine and the branches looks like, and we need to understand the dynamics of that. And so Jesus, as the master teacher, often used these things people were familiar with to explain to them spiritual principles. And so if Jesus was uh, uh, at our campuses teaching today, he may reference things that, uh, that we uh, know about and things we love and things that are common to us, like maybe uh, hunting or fishing or football or being stuck in traffic, who knows? Uh, but Jesus used these illustrations that unpack common things that everybody in the crowd would have known And then he uses it and then turns it on a spiritual principle for us to understand that dynamic in a way that's applicable for our lives. So Jesus uses this illustration of the vine, the branches to help us understand our relationship to him and what he does in our lives and how we produce spiritual fruit. I think for us to really understand what Jesus is saying here, we have to understand the elements of the imagery that he uses here. Uh, And so let's kind of unpack those for a little bit together. The first thing that Jesus gives us, the imagery that Jesus gives us in this teaching is the vine, which is Jesus. So the vine is Jesus in this illustration. So Jesus uses himself saying, I am the vine. This is one of Jesus' seven statements in the book of John that are revelations uh, speaking to his deity, speaking to the fact that he is the savior of the world, that he is God with us. And so it gives us an expression of Jesus as uh, the savior of the world, but our dependency upon him for salvation and our dependency upon him for growth in our Christian life. It's all dependent upon the work of Jesus and the spirit of God in us. Jesus is the vine. And our vibrancy in our spiritual life is contingent uh, and tied to Jesus. There is no spiritual fruit without Jesus, right? He is the vine. But also the branches. The branches uh, in this illustration, the imagery Jesus gives here, are us. And they refer to human beings and our, our connectivity to Jesus or our lack of connectivity to Jesus. Notice how Jesus here unpacks the relationship that he has with the branch and those who do not have a relationship with him and their fruit bearing as a result of that. In fact, he uses the same wording here of those that are pruned and 
purified, the same wording that he used uh, just a little while ago with the disciples in the upper room whenever Peter said to him, wash my whole body instead of just washing my feet, Jesus. And he said, no, you've already been purified. In other words, you're already part of the family, Peter. You're already part of the vine. You're already a believer. Uh, You don't need to be purified. Rather, this is the work I'm doing in your life now that you have been saved. You have been purified. So we need to know when we talk about us bearing fruit as branches, uh, it's not that spiritual fruit saves us. It's rather that we bear spiritual fruit because we have been saved. It's an outworking of the fact of what God is doing in us because he has saved us. But the other end of that and what Jesus makes a point here about the burning of the branches is if you never in your life ever produce any spiritual fruit, that's because you were never really rooted to the spiritual root, Jesus. So there has to be at some point a display of life transformation on the outside displays that supernatural relationship that's happening on the inside. So Jesus explains to us the branches and those that are connected and those that are not and what that means and the dependency upon the branches upon the vine. Because frankly, uh, grapevine uh, branches are not good for a whole bunch of anything. They're very flimsy. You're not gonna like take grapevine branches and build anything. Uh, they're just pretty much good for producing fruit. And if they're not doing that, uh, they're not very productive, not very useful. But the branch tied to the vine is very useful and fruitful, Jesus tells us here. The third uh, aspect of this imagery is the gardener. The gardener is the father. Maybe if you've read another translation, it says the vine dresser there, the same idea. Uh, And the gardener is the architect of cultivating a growth in that environment, right? He's the one responsible for making sure that the vineyard prospers, that the vine prospers, that it produces much fruit. He's in charge of all the details to make that happen. And I think we're all familiar with this, right? How this works. Like you go to the fruit stand, you look at a piece of fruit and I don't think you're gonna see anybody as you go around the aisles in the fruit stand looking at like a peach there and be like, I'm so proud of you. What a good job you did. You're so beautiful. Look at these leaves. Look at this skin. You are such a beautiful peach. What a good job you did. No, you're going to say, hey, that farmer did a good job, right? That gardener did a good job. That fruit is amazing. Why? Because the gardener's the one that cultivates the fruit. He's the one that cultivates the product. So God cultivates uh, our fruitfulness in our lives. And uh, he's in charge of us growing and, and being vibrant in our production of our spiritual fruit. With that being said, the fourth thing here is the fruit. That's the purpose of the Christian, the purpose of the Christian. God created us to bear fruit and to bear much fruit, he tells us here. And so Jesus gives a definition here of the vine and the branches. Later on, we're going to begin to more unpack, as Paul does, what those different fruits look like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the dynamics of God as he works out the spiritual productivity in our lives, but God produces that fruit in us. And that is our purpose, right? To be fruitful, to live a life that intentionally displays the activity of God in our current circumstance, right? And so fruit is our purpose. The purpose of the Christian is to be a fruitful Christian, to display tangible spiritual fruit. Something we have to unpack here that's not very common to us that we, uh, that Jesus teaches about here that we need to understand before we dive, kind of take a deep dive into fruitfulness and fruit bearing what that looks like as Jesus works it out in our lives is the process of pruning. Uh, And pruning is not something unless you grew up around a farming environment or or something you'd be terribly familiar with, but it is a a really, really important part of growth happening in the vine and having a, a productive crop. In fact, people that run vineyards, they often invest two to three years in training the people that are gonna be in charge of pruning uh, in their orchard. 
And so it's all about telling them uh, where to cut and how to cut, even what angle to cut. And that's going to be contingent upon how great the crop is. The crop can't be big and the crop can't be uh, as full as it can be unless this pruning happens in the right and exact way that it needs to happen. So what does it look like in our lives as Christians when God prunes us? What does that look like when he cuts on us, so to speak, and encourages us through that to produce more spiritual fruit? Here's one thing that really is important here. We understand what Jesus does in our lives when he prunes us. Branch pruning in our lives means God is removing something to replace it with something better. Pruning in our lives means that God is removing something to replace it with something better. So that means when God cuts on us, when he prunes us to produce more fruit, he's doing something. Now there's the obvious thing there, which is painful, and that is sometimes that pruning process looks like a cutting away of something dead that needs to be cut away. And so we're all familiar with that, right? If, if we have something growing and it has a disease or has something wrong with it, that needs to be cut away. So those are the obvious things in our lives that we know that keep us from bearing fruit, whether it be sinful patterns or, or, or negative, uh, negative things in our lives that are obviously disruptive in us having fruitful lives. That's the, that's the obvious negative things God cuts away. But also there's a positive cutting away that God does. Sometimes God needs to cut away good things to replace them with better things. Sometimes God needs to cut away busyness uh, in our lives and distractions in our lives and things that aren't morally evil or sinful. They are just not constructive in our growth and our relationship with God. And so he, he begins to cut those things away so that we can be more fruitful. We can be as fruitful as God wants us to be. And that pruning process always hurts some, but it's always helpful as well. God's always up to productive pruning in our lives and we're reminded that if God the Father is the gardener, that whenever he brings the knife to us, we can always trust that that cutting away is not just, really, is not just cutting for the pain's sake, but for the purpose's sake. Not just for the taking away of something, but so when it grows back, it can be more fruitful and productive and better as a result of what God has done. That, that active work of God pruning us is because he wants a bigger crop and a better crop of spiritual fruit in our lives. But let's be honest. If you're the vine and God comes to cut you, you're not going to say, yes, I received that. Sometimes you're going to say, oh my, that hurts, right? Because sometimes the things, even the things that aren't bad things, are things we can get attached to. But if those things deter us from spiritual growth, God needs to and will cut those things away and trim those things back so there can be growth in our lives. But the good news is if we really trust that he's a good, loving, heavenly father, we can trust that every time he does that, it's always for our good to bring something better to us. And so although pruning hurts, it always helps. It always helps, and God is in the process as the great gardener, but also our Father, and pruning us so our lives can be productive and fruitful. So Jesus doesn't go into unpacking this here, and so we have to kind of draw from the New Testament to define all of what a uh, spiritual fruit is and what that looks like. So let me try to load it onto a definition for us that can kind of work for today, but also as we think about this for the rest of the summer. What is spiritual fruit as Jesus defines it here and as it's defined in the rest of the New Testament? It is a tangible expression of God working his way out in the life of a Christian so that others are pointed to Jesus, God is glorified, and the Christian grows. It's the tangible expression of God working his way out in the life of a Christian so others are pointed to Jesus, God is glorified, and the Christian grows. Let's unpack that a little bit. First of all, that means producing fruit is a cooperative process. Producing fruit is a cooperative process. 
Jesus says that we abide in him uh, and he abides in us and in that we produce much fruit. So it is a cooperative effort between us and God, between the work of the Holy Spirit in us and what we do in response to that work as God empowers us. I love how Philippians 2.13 explains this to us. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to please him both the desire and the ability to please him. So it's God working in us and us working with God. I like to think of it a little bit like this. It's kind of like water skiing. If you're in the water, you know that skiing is a lot of fun, but if you're not tied to the boat, you're not going anywhere. You're just floating, it's not skiing, all right? So you're contingent upon the boat, yet there are things that you have to do, right? You have to hold on to the rope. You can move in and out of the way. There are a lot of things you can do, but you're not going anywhere unless the boat is going somewhere. And so that's a lot like producing fruit. There are things which only God can do and there are things which only we can do. And it's a cooperative effort between what God can, only God can do and what only we can do is God stirs up that motivation and empowers us to do it. It is a cooperative effort that we bear fruit. We don't do it in and of ourselves and yet we can't do it without the spirit of God present working in and through us. It is a cooperative effort. Fruit bearing doesn't happen without Jesus being present. And it doesn't happen without us yielding to and cooperating with Jesus as he's present and at work. It's a cooperative effort. But also when we produce fruit, others receive grace. When we produce fruit, others receive grace. Think about it. Fruit is not something you, that you as the fruit receive. Really, it's about others receiving it, right? When you bear fruit, when you go somewhere and you buy fruit, you buy it to eat, right? So fruit bearing is not simply about us and about our good. It's about the good of those with whom we do life, the good of those uh, that can receive the fruit that we bear. And so when we bear fruit, our words, our works, what we say and what we do actually benefit and bless the lives of others. That's what our fruit is about. Our spiritual fruit blesses others, encourages others. God uses it to nourish Others And the Bible explains how our words and our actions uh, do that whenever we're bearing spiritual fruit. Psalm, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 10, 21 says it this way. The lips of the righteous feed many. Your words can encourage people. Your words can feed people spiritually. They can be productive that people actually draw spiritual nourishment from the things you say. And your words can be constructive or destructive, but your words can carry power in the lives of people and it can be fruitful and it can nourish them spiritually. God can use the things you say to bear spiritual fruit and is spiritual fruit, but also the things you do. Ephesians 2.10 tells us about uh, the relationship of what we do uh, and what God is doing in us and how that is spiritual fruit that benefits others when it says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when we produce good fruit, it benefits others around us uh, that are in need of that, but also it, it demonstrates a tangible work of God uh, and our works demonstrate the work of God in us. And it's a supernatural thing, not a natural thing. So the, the Bible explains to us there, are, there is good fruit, spiritual fruit, there's supernatural fruit, and there is natural fruit. There's fruit that, goes, that grows naturally in our hearts and our minds as a result of sin that's in our hearts, as a result of family practices and cultural uh, operations and the way that people do things, that we do things uh, a natural way that is not beneficial, that is not fruitful, that's not good. It's our natural fruit we bear. The Bible even calls it can be weapons. So I think the best uh, illustration I've ever seen of this, with that fruit that we bear, this natural to us, let's be honest, this natural to us uh, in, our, in our natural way of operating in our culture, in our families, and the way our own heart tells us to do it can, act, can actually sometimes be destructive and harmful and a fruit that nobody 
won't. So I remember one time I was on a, a mission trip in college in Malaysia, and we were serving with this church. Uh, and so if any of you have been on a mission trip, you know that one of the, one of the cardinal rules is you take whatever the church gives you, right? Because you don't know what their resources are. Uh, and whatever they sell on the table, you just say, God bless it, and you eat it. You don't ask any questions, right? But we were working with this church, and, uh, and they set this fruit on the ground in front of us. And, uh, and it was a thing where the church was, oh, thankfully, a pretty established church. And so, uh, and so I didn't feel as bad about it, particularly whenever there was a group of teenage kids over here, like snickering really loudly when they set this fruit on the ground. Uh, and it looked like this, it's durian fruit is what it looks like. Uh, so you're saying that looks kind of funny. Well, I guarantee you it smells even more funny. They cracked this thing open on the ground and I do, I'm not lying to you. It smelled like roadkill. It was horrible. Uh, and as these, all, of, all the youth groups like watching, they're trying to dare us to eat this fruit. I'm, I, I just said, no, thank you. I'm good. Hard pass. Uh, and so uh, that's, but that fruit, they, could, they were begging us to eat it, but nobody wants it. Like, I don't know how anybody could eat it. I couldn't get it up to here close to my face. Like you can't even get close to it. Nobody wants that. Stay away from that. That's what our fruit looks like. Our natural fruit, the Bible talks about, it is deadly, uh, it smells to high heaven, it, uh, it creates division, uh, it speaks harm into people's lives. That is what we naturally produce, that we don't have to do much effort to do that, right? I don't have to have much effort or much supernatural work uh, to be impatient. I don't have to have much effort or supernatural work to say what I'm thinking instead of asking God for grace to say what needs to be said in the right way and at the right time. That's the fruit we naturally produce. Uh, that's the fruit we naturally, without any effort, can make happen. But when supernatural fruit is happening, that's a display that Jesus is at work, that Jesus is demonstrating his power to change us in the way we operate and the tangible expression that people see and that people interact with displays there's something supernatural happening. There's something grace-filled happening. There's something Jesus-filled happening. There's something that only God can do that's different than what Micah usually looks like than how Micah normally would act or respond. That's a work of God, right? That's not our natural fruit, but it's supernatural fruit. That's always a display that Jesus is in the middle of what's going on, making something happen that is different. Jesus goes on to explain what the dynamics of this fruit bearing looks like in the rest of his teaching here, starting in verse nine. He says, I have loved you even as the father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting what, church? Fruit. Jesus called us to produce lasting fruit. Notice how Jesus uh, couches our relationship with him and our producing of fruit in all these relational terms. If you go back and count what Jesus says here, the amount of times he says love, he says it eight times in just these short few verses, talking about how love is contingent upon our love relationship with him and our production of fruit is contingent upon our abiding and remaining in him. Make no mistake about it, producing fruit is a deeply relational thing. 
Producing spiritual fruit is a deeply relational thing, not a mechanic thing, not an automatic thing, not simply a works thing. It is a deeply relational thing. And he uses this word abide here, which in this translation I read was remain, depending on which translation you read, but it's not really an idea that has a quick and easy English equivalent. This Greek word actually uh, is a word, uh, minnow, not like minnow, like we think of fishing, but actually minnow, which means to make your home in. It means to make your dwelling in, to remain in, continually dwell with. It's an idea that means dwelling and making our base of operation in God's love. I love how uh, Pastor J.D. Greer explains this concept to us. If We really get to the bottom of the relational thing that Jesus is talking about here. It says that when we make our home in his love, feeling it, saturating ourselves with it, reflecting on it, standing in awe of it, spiritual fruit begins to spring up naturally from us like roses on a rose bush. Abiding in Jesus, producing spiritual fruit is not a natural or automatic thing. It's an organic thing that happens as we dwell in God's love and let God's love and God's power transform us and change us and make us into new people as we live there time and time again, day after day, conversation after conversation, moment after moment, transaction after transaction as we dwell in and make our base of operation God's love because the fruit is produced as God supernaturally does in us what we cannot do in ourselves. I don't know about you if you've ever been on one of those tours where you go and go through an orchard and you pick your own basket uh, full of produce. Like the greatest racket ever, right? Like you're paying to do all the work, right? But I don't know about you, but I've never walked by a tree and heard like an apple like, if I could just, if I could just be fruitful, if I could just produce fruit. No, it's a natural thing that happens out of the contingent relationship of that fruit to whatever root it is tied to, right? It's a organic outflow of the process of relationship. So is true in our lives. And I love how we're reminded here that it's an outflow, uh, just like a rose produces uh, um, a production of a rose bush, right? So if you have a dead rose bush, this probably looks a lot like my yard because I don't have a green thumb, I have a black thumb. I'm, I have a, my wife and I have a talent for killing things, unfortunately, uh, they grow in our yard, so we're constantly replanting new things. But if you have a dead bush, there's one of two ways we can produce fruit on that bush. The one thing we could do is we could go and we could theoretically, when this bush is dead, try to make it look fruitful uh, in, in a way without it actually having organic life. Now we could, for a season, go to uh, Publix or somewhere close and we could buy a few dozen roses and we could staple it on that bush. And for a little while, it would look okay, right? It would look fruitful. But the reality is it's not gonna last because lasting fruit of that bush or lasting roses from that bush comes out of the organic connection that is the vibrancy and life of that bush. And the same is true in our hearts and our minds. Our growth is contingent upon our vibrant relationship with Jesus. And simply trying to perform spiritual fruit rather than God transform us to produce spiritual fruit will never last for any amount of time. It's the process that God works in us, not something simply that we try to produce in ourselves that God wants to produce in us. It's a loving, abiding relationships with Jesus is present with us and is pouring into us, making us into the people that he wants us to be. 
Isn't that what Jesus says here? He explains that this happens through our, 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 our proximity to him and our allowing him to empower us for lasting change to happen, right? Because what he says here is it happens through relational influence, right? Relational influence means the better we know him, the more and more we're like him. He gives two pictures here, a branch that abides in the vine uh, and through that produces something and a friend that knows his plans and obeys him and as a result, fruit happens. Both those things are deep relationships that have the outflow of that things happen because the relationship exists. The power is present because Jesus is present and Jesus produces fruit. So it's not simply something that we do, it's something that Jesus does in us through his power as we, as we dive deeply in, remain in his love and his productivity in and through us. But also it produces something in us that this deeply relational thing of abiding and fruit bearing means we learn something about ourselves. See, we, we come to a point of self-understanding in this process. As you get to know Jesus better, you'll get to know yourself better. In this process of abiding with Jesus, remaining with Jesus, and asking Jesus to produce in you supernatural fruit, which only he can do, you will learn things about yourself. And God will produce fruit in you in a unique way. You know, my dad grew up uh, as a farmer and he uh, would load trucks and trucks of watermelons, and yet every single one was a little different. Uh, they, they look a little different, they have a different amount of seeds, right? And they have a different marking on them, they all look a little different. There's over 50 different types of watermelons and everyone is different even within the same type of watermelon because they're all different. And God is gonna produce fruit in your life and your mind in a way that will be the same fruit, but will look different because it's gonna flow through your spiritual giftings and your experience. And it's gonna look a little different, but it's gonna be a way in which you learn yourself better as God renews you and makes you in the person he's making you into. And your spiritual fruit is gonna be similar, but different to those in proximity to you. And it's all gonna bring glory to Jesus. It's not just this abiding as you dwelling in Jesus, it's him dwelling with you and you knowing and stepping into the best you he's calling you to be as you follow him and know him well. And your life becomes a vibrant display of the presence and power of God as Jesus personally does life with you. But also we need to know this process, particularly in our culture, we're all about producing something. We're all about manufacturing something. We're all about like finding the win and finding the end goal. We need to know that there's something different here when we think about fruit bearing that is different than the type of process we often think about. See, this is a cyclical process. See, it's the more and more you love, the more and more you obey. The more and more you obey, the more and more you abide. The more and more you abide, the more and more you grow. And the more and more you do that, the more and more you live in God-given purpose. See, we often, if we're not careful, we wanna be like the rose bush, pasting the things on there that we think should be there to look productive. When actually Jesus says, no, supernatural activity of God in your life looks like you dwelling and remaining with me, Micah, until the natural tendency you would produce begins to overcome by the supernatural tendency that I can produce so that something different and tangible is displayed instead. See, because what we can do if we're not careful is we're around church long enough that we know we should be patient, so we try to pace patience on there. Right? We, try to, we try to act patient. And here's the deal. Here's, here's why we lose out when we do that. Whenever we simply try to produce the fruits of the Spirit without our contingency upon Jesus as the vine, then we boil our lives down then religious performance instead of a relationship with Jesus. God saved you to know his grace and his mercy and his love and his power and his presence. And he uprooted you from a destructive vine that was leading you to eternity separated from him. And he planted you in the living vine, which is Jesus, to have his proximity and his presence and his power and his love do something supernaturally and actively in your heart and your mind and your life and your family and your workplace that has no explanation 
that is about you, but has every explanation that is about him. And whenever we boil it down to trying to produce a product rather than personally live with Jesus, we, short, we shortcut and we circumvent the love and power of Jesus, active where he's planted us. And we miss out on the gospel grace that produces a fruitful life in which we are blessed and others are encouraged. God is glorified and supernatural fruit grows. Amen. Can you stand there where you are? I want to listen to prayer together to just affirm this in our hearts and minds. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. If, if, you'll, if you'll just cooperate with me, I'd appreciate it. I want you to do this. Let's pray this way. They do this sometimes in other countries in the way they pray. I want you to uh, just extend your hands out. And we're just going to ask to receive from Jesus what only he can give us. Can we do that together? Jesus, we admit that we have no fruit, no supernatural fruit in and of ourselves. But Jesus, we pray for you to cultivate in us an abiding love and joy and persistence, not simply try to produce a product, but to cultivate a relationship with you, the living God, to make us into the people you're wanting to make us into be, to transform us into everything you wanna call us to be, and empower us to be the people you want us to be. So we would bear much fruit, so you receive glory, so others would receive good, and so we would grow. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.